Hello, Philip. How are you doing? Hello, Rachel. How are you? What's that? That's just me talking. That's Dick Van Dyke. Hello, Philip. I can't, I can't stop. I can't go. Good afternoon, Rachel. All right, Miss Patterson. How are you, Rachel? How are you doing? I'm still ill. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm a little bit under the weather as well. Annoyingly, my child must have sneezed in my vicinity and I got his cold. We're both ill at the same time. It's really weird that you say that we're ill at the same time. And I should say that we've only been recording stuff online so we haven't physically been in the same room for absolutely so months and months we've never even met <laughs> but we haven't been working in the same space since i think the bit in between the first and the second lockdown where for about 30 seconds you're allowed to meet in someone's front garden but i noticed recently that we have started to sync with each other you know like when they say about when women work in an office and they all end up syncing yeah so every time i take a drink when we're doing a recording you're taking a drink at the same time and vice versa we do it all the same and in the last two recordings there were moments where we both responded exactly the same we said the same words at the same time yes to be fair i think the word was hello <laughs> i wonder if russell thinks that we're going to eventually merge into one kind of co-host being hang on are you saying we are the anton deck of the jewish podcasting world if we were which one would i be which one would you be don't you know which one they are by who's standing on the left and the right and since yeah. we have very distinct positions when we record our podcast clearly i guess i would have to be and you'd have to be deck is that that way around yeah i think answer the left and decks on the right just to be clear because we're we're recording this a day before election day are you saying that i'm on the left and you're on the right <laughs> not necessarily politically but just well, in terms just, of just saying just saying <laughs> physical space <laughs> Are you saying that we're spending too much time together and we should see other hosts? <laughs> Maybe we should be on other podcasts. Um, well, no. we are available for other podcasts if anyone wants us to take a turn at being guests. Let's think about who's on our show this week. We've got some very exciting guests. We have. We have got the fabulous Graham Goldman, the founder and uh, singer-songwriter from 10CC, who's also responsible for loads and loads of other hits. Absolutely. Big fan of his work. And we've got fantastic comedian and comedy writer and good friend of ours, Meryl O'Rourke. So let's go on with the show. This episode of Jude Talking To Me was recorded under lockdown conditions. Hello, I'm Philip Simon. And I'm Rachel Krieger. We are two Jewish comedians. I'm Reform, so on a Saturday night, I like to catch up with my friends. And I'm Orthodox, so on a Saturday night, I like to catch up on the last 25 hours of gossip from Facebook. This show is the audio equivalent of the internet, free, accessible and bound to cause an argument that won't end until someone brings up the Holocaust. In each episode, we chat to two of our favourite Jews about their lives, their experiences growing up and how much Jewishness plays a part. Are they losing their religion or living on a prayer? Welcome to Jew Talking to Me. Let's introduce our guests. First up is stand-up comedian and comedy writer Meryl O'Rourke. Hello. Hello, Meryl. <laughs> Hi, Meryl. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for joining us. Regular listeners to the podcast will know we always like to find out how our guests self-define as Jews. You already know that Rachel's Orthodox and I'm Reform, but what kind of Jew are you? I'm not sure. I'm just pleased to be invited kind of Jew. I'll be any kind of Jew you want me to be. I just like being included. <laughs> uh, growing up, I was liberal. I guess if I'm anything now, I'm kind of a Holocausty Jew. I'm very obsessed with the Holocaust because <laughs> my mum came over here when she was four like escaping the holocaust so that's very much fed into my experience 
of what it means to be Jewish. But I think that is because uh, because I have an Irish name and I grew up in South London. It's almost like my my badge. It's like my way of proving that I am Jewish because my family weren't religious. And my mum always said, well, we were Jewish enough for Hitler. When people say, how Jewish are you? I would be rounded <laughs> up and therefore I belong. That's a fair answer, Meryl. It's not too dark at all. I think it's the quickest that we've brought up the Holocaust. But it's not too dark. That's what you would get with me. As, 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 that is my main my main link to it. Being being in yeah. South London, never seeing it around me. It's just the photographs of the dead people on the wall of the house, really. Right, and that was from your mum, you said. Yeah, from my mum's side. My dad was uh, Irish Catholic, but when he got divorced and married a Jewish woman, they pretty much gave up on him. So he gave up on them. And his funeral was taken by Rabbi Julian Neuberger. So that's pretty damn Jewish, really. <laughs> he became an honorary Jew at death. <laughs> and what was it like for you then, growing up? in South London with your Catholic dad and your Jewish mum and the obsession of the Holocaust? Well, I wasn't obsessed with it as much then. I think it was later when I kept having to sort of prove myself to people. Like I was in a Jewish improv group for a while and they used to say things like, oh, let's meet up at that cafe that's in Brent Cross. And I would say, I don't know where that is. And they would give me side eye and they would like say, do you want some good filter fish? And I go, I don't really like it. And they would constantly say to me, how Jewish are you actually? And I think that was when the Holocaust thing started to become a bit of a badge because it was my only way in <laughs> to them. So in South London, I was very often the only Jew wherever I was. I mean, we did have a synagogue. That's how I know Rabbi Julia. I went to synagogue a lot from the age of about six or seven, went to Sunday school, shul. And then at primary school, I was the only Jewish girl, which my headmaster was very keen on bringing up. And I remember a particular assembly where he said, oh, we have some Muslim children over here and we have some Catholic children here and we have some Hindu children here. And Meryl, stand on your chair. Meryl is our Jew. Um, wow. And yeah, I think he meant well by it. But then at playtime, I was absolutely surrounded by kids all firing questions at me, including these. It's interesting that I remember now that they asked me if Jews really drank baby's blood mm. which is interesting because I was talking to you Rachel the other day about how when somebody asked you if you had horns under your headscarf and can oh my god how could people believe that but I do remember them asking that when I was thinking over it and so they're asking these ridiculous things like do you eat baby's blood and all this kind of stuff and then one of them said is it true that you cut off the ends of penises and I was six years old and a girl so I was like no how awful and I remember <laughs> going home to my mom and say you will never believe what they said to me at school and they said that we drink baby's blood and my mom was going that's awful and then I said, and they said that we cut the ends off boys' penises, and she went, ah, okay, have a chat. <laughs> it was one of those moments, as a six-year-old girl, there was no reason that they would have ever explained circumcision to me, but I was really like, are you kidding me now? Uh, but where do you think they got the baby's blood from? <laughs> beautiful pathway we're trotting down <laughs> now. But your story about being the Jew it reminds me of when my older son was little. We lived in Oxfordshire and he went to the, a local school and it was so white there. Like I'd never lived somewhere like that where everybody was white and Christian. And when we enrolled him in like the village school, the head said to us, oh, we're so happy to be having another ethnic child. He's only the second one we've ever had in our school. And can you teach us how to pronounce his name? And is there anything special that we need to do for him? And it was sort of very sweet, but it became quite extreme. Like whatever topic they were doing, she would ask me if there's like a Jewish angle. So she'd be phoning up saying, this week our theme is boats. Is there a Jewish <laughs> story about boats? Because she wanted to be inclusive, but oh, yeah. it became quite intense. Surely a Jewish boat would be Noah's Ark. Oh, good. If only I thought of that 20-something. Years ago, I, when I, it was, I appreciate I'm here as the reformed Jew, but <laughs> surely 
Well done, Philip. Excellent. Well done. Meryl, what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently? <laughs> the most Jewish thing that's happened to me recently happened to all three of us, actually. When we were all on David Badil's panel selling his book, it was originally going to be on a Friday. And there was a very awkward standoff between David Badil having to go with his agent wanting it to be on a Friday and with the religion that he was discussing, which couldn't be. I thought it was the most Jewish thing ever having to choose between your agent and your religion. An excellent uh, memory and I felt super awkward because I was the one who made the initial fuss. Um, But I did think that it was weird to do a an event that was aimed at discussing Judaism on a Friday night where it limited the number of Jews for example who could get actively involved but surely we control the media not well, well enough Philip that's the answer <laughs> I've been told that we control the media surely is, nothing should happen on a Friday night <laughs> well we may not control the media but we do control this show so let's bring on our second guest who is singer songwriter and founder member of 10cc it's Graham Goldman Ooh. hello Hello. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Uh, My pleasure. Graham, what kind of Jew are you? I'm a very Jewish Jew. My parents were quite orthodox, but I'm now reform. I'm not necessarily a believer, but I'm an ethnic Jew, I would say. So I'm as Jewish as you. (laughs) Graham, what was it like for you growing up in your brand, a Jewish home? Oh, it was lovely. I grew up in North Manchester in Broughton Park, which was quite a Jewish area. Broughton Park is a very religious area as well. I mean, I don't know if it was then, but it is now. Yes, well, even more so. Uh, now than when I was growing up there. My dad was quite strict about various festivals. We, In fact, I was talking to one of my kids the other day about him taking the uh, Passover service and it was a very ordered and there was no, it was all stum and quiet and don't do this and don't do that. But we, we absolutely loved it. One memory I've always got is when we had the egg with the salt water, everybody said, oh, how nice this is. Why don't we make it during the year as well? Of course, we never did. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. When I married into my husband's family, like they don't have loads and loads of different customs. But one of our households, we grew up having a whole egg in salt water, and the other household always had chopped egg in salt water. So when we got married, our compromise is that we slice the eggs, but then put them back together so they look whole, but they're actually <laughs> separated. And I think that's the sort of marital compromise that they should teach you when you do your pre-marital sessions with the rabbi and the rebbeson. Like they say, this is how you have a lasting relationship. You slice it and you make it look cold. It's beautiful. I love that. I don't mind the egg and salt water. What I mind is I think my wife's family call it salt water soup. And I think they count that as the soup course of a meal. Which really, I mean, can you imagine an episode of Downton Abbey where he <laughs> brings out soup and it's just salt water with an egg? I always say it's quite a telling difference between Christians and Jews that Christians celebrate spring with an egg that's chocolate and Jews celebrate spring with an egg dipped in our own tears. <laughs> yeah. Graham, what is the most Jewish thing that's happened to you recently? I've been watching Stiesel. Ah, have you been enjoying it? I love it, like everybody else. Remarkable. I don't know it. Explain it to the uninitiated. It's set in Jerusalem, the Haredi community. It's like Haredi EastEnders. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I was was going to say Coronation Street because I'm from Manchester. My wife and I and many of our friends have absolutely fallen in love with it. It's a very rare thing because it's it's a show about... Orthodox Jewish people, but actually the religion is just the context. It's just about their emotions and their relationships, and you know their uh, trials and tribulations. Bits of it are funny, so yeah, bits of it are very moving as well. We love it. We we didn't want to watch the last episode because it was going to be the last episode. We were, we so loved it so much. I don't want to reveal any spoilers, 
But the last I've seen it all. Last episode out of ten, Graham. What'd you give it? Well, it's got to be a ten. It was just incredible. I mean, there were certain moments in it that I think I'll always remember. It's quite extraordinary, actually. You know, we obviously through the lockdown we've watched lots of telly and lots of great things and lots of rubbish as well. But that's probably the best. And of course, we've talked about how it affects non-Jewish people as well, and it affects them exactly the same way. As to our knowledge, mm. they really feel for it. It's got, I mean, it's got subtitles, so um, but the yeah, acting is amazing. They understand it, but the family situations and what happens, and you know, love and loss and uh, everything else is all that. I feel like the two shows that I've watched in lockdown are Tiger King and Schlissel. <laughs> they are not the same. They are not the same. But the fact they've been given this platform on such a wide-reaching channel like Netflix is is meant it, it's opened up to a much wider audience, which is brilliant. I've not seen it, uh, Meryl, so I'm with you. I only know about it because we did a Series 3 promo video oh. where we pretended to be in schnitzel, was our version. And that's all I really know about it. But the people are, who have seen the trailer were really taken with how accurate our portrayals oh, wow. were i just kept saying to philip just trust me we have to do it like this i said i have to turn up at your house and try and pass you foil wrap dishes through your window and he's like i don't he said just don't even try and explain it to me we'll just do it yeah i'm very trusting <laughs> Now, these are tough times, and we always like to check in with our guests and ask, what's the matter, Bubala? So, Graham, what's going on with you at the moment? Well, there's nothing really the matter. The only thing I have a little problem with is, like many others in the arts or the performing arts, is that we're not uh, able to play. And this mm. is one thing that I'm very unhappy about. We've already shifted uh, concerts that we were supposed to do last year into 2022. I hope they're going to happen. We've got stuff uh, a bit later this year as well. So that's uh, the only thing that's really concerning me at the moment, not just for me, but for the rest of the band as well. Although I'm recording and doing stuff at home, there's nothing, as you will know yourselves, like being in front of an audience. It's such a wonderful, addictive, beautiful thing. Mm. Um, I really miss it. So looking forward to getting back to that. What band are you playing with at the moment? 10CC. Well, oh, right. At, okay. at the moment, since 1972. Yeah. I thought you'd gone out. Well, I, thought actually, I do go out under a different name. I, I have a, a, an acoustic show that I do called Heartful of Songs, which is wow. me and three other musicians. Uh, and actually, we're doing that later this year as well. Have you been able to do stuff online or is it is everything completely stopped until live? I don't really like doing stuff online. It's so dry. Mm. And, you know, you, you play and you go... <laughs> One person. Yeah, and dead silent. It just, just feels yeah. weird. I'm happy to wait. I know it's going to come back and it'll be fine. No, I understand that. We, we do that with comedy and I'm sure <laughs> yeah. uh, the same experience of waiting for a laugh to come when everyone's on mute or having yeah, their own conversations. Oh it's just awful. So Graham is excited to get back to live performing, as are yes. we all. Meryl, what's the matter, Bubbler? Uh everything really Jewish <laughs> in itself everything on a personal level the big thing recently has been um i have very bad tinnitus and it's kicked up hugely as i've entered the menopause it's completely linked to my sweats so my son being at home is possibly the worst thing for that and he is very loud he just makes noises randomly we're trying to encourage him to shout words rather than just random noises <laughs> so i have a constant screaming in my ear which uh, isn't my mum she's dead so uh, yeah. 
yeah it's interesting when when we ask ourselves like how jewish we are as a family like culturally he's certainly not meek so he's got that because i've always you know when the christians started saying the meek shall inherit the earth that was a complete side eye to jews not those loud people over there <laughs> with their flashy suits that was total side eye so yeah He's a, my son is very loud and very confident with a very, um, he usually has his head shaved, but because of lockdown, he's got quite a good Jufro at the moment. So yes, that's what's been getting to me is the tinnitus, which you'd probably have expected from the rock star rather than the comic. Yeah. Graham, do you have tinnitus? I don't have tinnitus. But See, you, 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 you're talking story. about uh, the meek shall inherit the earth, if that's okay with you. <laughs> <laughs> See, a comedian as well. Yeah, You're everything. I, I, I can't. I can't help. It. I very much like this. Became the most Jewish answer to a question that what was upsetting you was tinnitus, but you're totally blaming your son. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, because I, that's the problem with tinnitus is is like I need to blame somebody. It's incurable, and it's just happened because I've got old. So I'll blame the lack of death. If I was still religious, I could blame God. <laughs> Gavolt. What could be more Jewish than interrupting our own show to remind you that back episodes of the podcast are available on all of the usual platforms, as well as our own website, jewtalkingtome.com. And don't forget to like, share, subscribe and leave a lovely review. It's what your mother would want. Last week, we heard Kerry Shale telling us his showbiz anecdotes. And of course, one of his earliest jobs was in Barbara Streisand's Yentl. And this week, Graham's revealed himself to be a massive fan of the show Shtissel. So we want you to tell us what your favourite Jewish films or television shows are. Tell us all about it on social media using the hashtag JewsOnScreen, at JewTalking without the G. And now back to the show. As a Jewish mother, as soon as I see anyone, the first thing that crosses my mind is, have you eaten yet? Meryl, you mentioned being asked if you loved gefilte fish, not knowing what it was. <laughs> but do you have any strong opinions or memories that are connected to Jewish food? This is controversial, but matzah shouldn't be a snack or even be allowed to be a snack. You know when people keep matzah crackers in the house all year rather than just at Passover and have them with cheese? It's bad food. That's what it's actually a symbol of. It's a symbol of something that wasn't made properly. And yet we eat it all year round. <laughs> Even though the whole point of matzah is this is not what they intended. <laughs> so that's I seem to be on my own with that. Anecdotally, I probably my main memory of a, of a weird Jewish meal was when we visited our relatives in Israel. So me and mum were liberal and we just kept forgetting that we were in Israel and, and we, they were liberal as well but one day my mum asked for some cheese to put on her spaghetti bolognese and my aunt regarded her exactly it was like they'd had Che Guevara in the house they literally started looking out of windows going oh um well I suppose we could and then bringing out this cheese and the cheese grater my aunt's hands were almost shaking like it was almost like they had to check out the window to see that nobody was watching as they slowly grated a bit of cheddar onto some bolognese so they were liberal, that. but they were strict about not mixing meat and dairy. Yeah, I think just because they lived there, so it wasn't the done thing. Because there was one day where she went out to source some bacon for us because we were British. So she wanted Ooh. to give us bacon and eggs, and she'd actually like gone to the wrong side of town to source <laughs> some bacon from a dealer. And she was ever so excited for herself. My <laughs> I'm imagining him opening his coat, and there's just yeah. like rashers in pockets on either side. <laughs> Nowadays, I think it's a bit different, but it used to be quite hard to get any kind of pig products in Israel. But the people who were secular, either people keep nothing yeah. at all, or they keep more or less everything. And there's not that many people kind of in between, it's quite polarized. 
just they kept telling us they weren't religious and they weren't into that but yeah it was completely obvious it was just because that's where they lived so finding bacon was difficult I'll come to you now Graham have you got any particular Jewish food memories or very strong Jewish food opinions well my mum God rest her soul was not the greatest cook and I think she would admit that however her chopped liver was second to none what that, do you think I don't I think it because it had love in it Aww. that was the magic ingredient of course well, why did nothing else have love in it if you said she wasn't the, <laughs> the, rest of the time, why does her love only appear because to she saved it up. obviously she <laughs> saved it up to put in the chopped liver <laughs> her lacklustre luckers were disgusting <laughs> But the love she had <laughs> So Graham, that's your food memory, but don't you also have a strong Jewish food opinion? I have a very strong Jewish food opinion. And being a Mancunian and then coming to live in London in 1986, I couldn't get used to this word bagel. What is a bagel? <laughs> it's a bagel, isn't it? Oh, you started a thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Well, let's start it. Bring it on. What you're starting is um, the truth. Well done. Thank you very much. <laughs> we appreciate your input. Three against one, it would appear, Rachel. On this occasion, three against one. I can tell you that it's an ongoing debate on the show and with our audience and amongst the team because both Philip and Russell pronounce it bagel, whereas I grew up with bagels. And Russell actually lives in my road and we have a street WhatsApp group and someone was talking about something they were doing and they were asking for suggestions of foods and I wrote bagels and literally a second later, Russell wrote bagel in brackets just saying underneath it because he could not let it lie it's one of those arguments that of course will never be resolved which is quite jewish in itself we're never going to uh, agree on agree on this a, ba a bagel yeah. tastes much nicer than a bible anyway well some people have tried yeah. to define it on the show like if you think about how difficult it is to define your jewish identity people have spent have been quite intricate in how they've defined the difference between a bagel and a bible so i think someone said that a bagel is the kind of uniform shaped ordinary thing you might get from a supermarket where everything tastes the same it's a bit plasticky whereas a bagel is squidgy and soft and no, you're shaking no, no. your head no i'm shaking my head because if you ever had the honor of having i think it was rubin's bagels with the definitive bagel in south manchester they were smaller than the big thing you call a bagel they were smaller, they were sweeter, and they were kind of crispy as well. Oh, yes. Crispy. Really, really crispy. good. Yeah. Crispy on the outside. Yeah, if you had that with, with Titanic's smoked salmon, because Titanic's was the, mm -hmm. the main deli that everyone went to. So named because one of the owner's forebears was saved from drowning from the Titanic. Oh, wow. Then you were wow. in heaven. That's I amazing. didn't realise that was why they were called Titanics. Mm, yeah. As they were swimming through the Atlantic Ocean, they were just grabbing salmon as they went. <laughs> As I'm here. I think they were grabbing those knife boys and they were thinking, well, that looks like something delicious if it was made of bread. Yeah. That would be a very Jewish response to the Titanic. <laughs> what shall we eat when we get home? Salmon and bagels. We the fish, I'll keep the life belt. <laughs> Well, we'll jump from there to the Karen about the bagel bagel thing, because I've had a really exciting development with the whole thing wow. this week. One of the reasons it started as a conversation is because my wife and her family say bagel and Ooh. we say 
it correctly um, <laughs> and recently we went to my in-law's garden for a socially distanced birthday gathering and my mother-in-law did offer a bagel and Ooh. it was a real moment and I didn't want to make a big deal out of it but I yes you did you did I want totally to make made, a big deal about it I didn't want to make a big deal out of it but I totally made it known that I'd noticed and the rest of the family I think were quite shocked and <laughs> I was very grateful but these are the kind of broiguses that can exist between families or friends we want to know whether they are any broiguses that you want to share with us now. So Meryl, how about you? I couldn't think of any light-hearted ones. And then Rachel was talking to me about an argument to do with Uri Geller, which reminded me. <laughs> so I hope this counts because Uri Geller is quite Jewish. Um, he bent my key when I used to be a radio presenter and he bent my key on purpose because he could tell I didn't believe him. And I absolutely do believe that because he didn't touch it. He didn't touch my key. I touched my key and he touched my hand and my key bent. But when it became an issue, you because I was thrilled about this bent key was when we finished the interview and I realized I couldn't get home because I no longer had a key <laughs> and I was doing this radio show in Dorset and I had to phone up my landlord to say have you got a spare key or a key that I can borrow because to get a new one cut and he was really angry because it's like nine o'clock at night we've just finished this interview and so Uri Geller says pass the phone to me I will speak to him and he goes you will be amazed when you see what I have done with this key he's going I don't care mate that's 40 quid as private property <laughs> you bent there 40 quid oh but it is an amazing magic feat of magnetism no mate 40 quid and then we will stop talking and it was just yeah one of the funniest arguments I've ever heard Uri Geller trying to reason with a West Country landlord and wow. did he pay the 40 quid no I had to pay the 40 quid oh. but and also the other thing that was funny about it was his children are very embarrassed by him which I find incredibly endearing they find it incredibly embarrassing that their dad walks around saying that he can bend things and they were absolutely appalled you know you bent the woman's key dad did you not even think like, <laughs> did you not even think before you did it dad that she might need a key <laughs> I, I i love that the children honestly are like oh dad stop telling people you can do everything just be normal we often remember that we've come across people that we now know in an unusual way. For example, I once found myself at a party in the park in central London when I was working with this group of teenagers and I got to listen to 10cc on the main stage. Oh, really? I remember yeah, that gig, yeah. It was lovely. <laughs> and then years later, Graham, you and I ended up on a show together. And of course, Meryl, Yumi and Philip all know each other from the circuit. But apart from the four of us, if you think about Six Degrees of Can't Eat Bacon, who is your most interesting Jewish connection? Graham? Well, it's actually my dad and I'll tell you why it's my dad obviously we're connected because he's my dad um, <laughs> when I started writing songs he was a massive help to me in Manchester he was part of the local Jewish theatre groups he was a writer he was a poet he should have been a professional writer but everything he did had to have some sort of Jewish interest until I started writing songs and then he wrote lyrics with me he came up with song ideas like uh, No Milk Today was his idea oh, wow. and, and many other things and even there's a, a 10cc song called uh, Art for Art's Sake and that's something he used to say to me as a joke it's quite a cynical thing to say Art for Art's Sake money for God's sake but in fact he wasn't a, <laughs> he wasn't a cynical man at all but that was I was talking to my Eric who I was writing songs with and I mentioned that he said oh that's a great idea for a song and we wrote a song and I had a big hit with it oh that's so amazing yeah my dad does your dad know that he was such a big influence on you musically oh yeah 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 we looked after him he, he was rewarded but he, you know he 
I think uh, he got a lot of knackers out of it. <laughs> Did he ever perform with you? Did you ever perform together? No, no, no. But my late mum, who died a couple of years ago, whenever we played in London, she would come. And the last big gig we did was at the London Palladium. And it was her birthday. And I had our lighting guy put the spotlight on her because after one of the songs which is called feel the benefit this is quite jewish actually (laughs) (laughs) i explained that whenever i came in out of the coal when i was a kid my mum would say take your coat off because when you go out again you'll feel the benefit and this is quite a well-known 10cc album track that we we perform and i had our lighting guy put the spotlight on her when i after i'd said that this is something that my mum used to say to me and she's still telling me what to do and my mum is here tonight and she stood up and she was (laughs) she was in her like 98 she stood up and like took a bow like looking around like the queen you know it was amazing god bless her I love the idea that there are people behind the scenes of 10cc who maybe aren't seeing the limelight in quite the same way. So you've got 10cc and then you've got (laughs) (laughs) 10bcc. Meryl, what about you? Who's your most interesting personal Jewish connection? Well, I've mentioned Julia Neuberger already, who was our family rabbi. The reason I started going to synagogue when I was six and not earlier was because Julia Neuberger started being our rabbi. And so my mum went back to religion for feminist reasons rather than religious reasons. It was like, look at this woman. So she's very big in my childhood. And it's interesting, I'd always thought she was the first female rabbi in Britain and then I wiki her today and apparently not. So my whole life has been a lie. She was the second. But she's a very striking woman, you know, um, very unusual looking as well. Like she's grey now, but she used to have very red hair. She had, you know, face whiter than Mutzer and hair redder than communism. <laughs> and then as I was growing up, she'd just kind of pop up now and then. So my mum had breast cancer when I was 10. And at that point, we weren't going to synagogue anymore because I started to get bullied at Sunday school. So we left. And Julia just happened to be in the hospital and happened to find out, I don't even know how, that my mum had cancer. So popped in and comforted her, which meant a lot to my mum, and agreed to do my father's funeral, despite the fact that he wasn't Jewish. And then just popped up when my mum died. Uh, My actual rabbi couldn't do the funeral because he was on holiday and Julia couldn't because she was away as well. And Julia literally talked me through how to do a funeral because it came clear that there were no rabbis that my mother had known and we weren't just going to get in somebody like just get just rent a rabbi so julia talked me through it step by step which was incredibly invaluable she's a lovely woman and then when i did my edinburgh show bad mother which was about my mother and it was about living with a mother who had ptsd so a large amount of it was about the holocaust but there's also a large amount about how dysfunctional i am there were lots of quite dirty jokes um but julia was at the book festival and i just thought i really want julia to see this show because she knew my mum so well and she was there front row. And it's interesting how, like, even though she was my rabbi and she is a baroness, I knew, even though I had not seen her since I was a child, there was something about her was like, she can handle the dirty stuff. She'll be able to handle the swearing. So her personality must have really come over to me when I was a child. And there she was sitting in the front row. And actually, what was interesting about it for me wasn't that she was emotional about hearing about my mum. And actually the bit in the show where I went through my mother dying, I actually included, because after a while I had to explain to people that this woman in the front row was my rabbi because she was laughing at the other places. But when uh, there was a bit very early on where I just mentioned that my dad died when I was young, just to kind of explain why I wasn't going to be talking about him. And she nodded and she was one of the only people in my life who had any memories of my dad. So when she nodded was actually the moment in the whole run that I almost started crying because there was this woman who'd been there, these sporadic moments, 
traumatic moment since I was six. I really like both of those answers because in both cases, it's about a really personal connection. And actually very heartwarming. So let's shake things up a bit. No. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> One thing we always like to do is find out whether your Jewishness has influenced or had any impact on your work. Graham, how about you? Certainly, um, it's had an influence on my music. I used to go to the synagogue with my dad every Saturday and I loved hearing the psalms and a lot of the things were in a minor key and all my the songs that I wrote in the 60s yeah. for other artists a lot of those were in minor keys and I'm sure there was some influence there from me the songs I heard in the uh, in a synagogue so definitely there was that uh, influence on me that's so interesting that you say that because like the first thing that comes to mind I really love heart full of soul and of right. course heart full of soul ah, it's, it's got a very canterish yeah it's got a bit of a kind of melody iconic. Yeah, yeah, to it, yeah. So wow. I always found minor keys much more attractive, more soulful than major keys. Not there's anything wrong with major keys, but I was just, I just found it easier to write songs in minor keys, and I still do actually. But uh, I mean, I write songs in. I have no prejudice against major keys. Graham, I like the fact that you did a kind of disclaimer to make sure that there won't be a broigus between the major and the minor keys. Hashtag not all major keys. <laughs> yeah. I love all keys, you know. Meryl, how about you? Well, I'm a stand-up. So that's probably a very Jewish thing to be. Recently, when, you know, there's been a whole lot of horrible anti-Semitism on Facebook in, in the comedy community, and I did put up a little post saying, if you don't like us, stop appropriating our culture. Uh, you're welcome to try another <laughs> yeah. career. Uh, it's interesting. I don't have a very conscious sense of my Judaism carrying me in any, any sense through my career. But the show that I finally took up to Edinburgh after years of worrying that I wouldn't be able to think of something good enough was the one about living with my mother, escaping the Holocaust, and it got five-star reviews. The Jewish Chronicle said I'd proved that the Holocaust was a topic for comedy, which was a pretty massive thing to be told. So I guess there's that. I do a lot of writing with Frankie Boyle. That's my main money job. I've been writing with him for 12 years and it's really nice working on a show where Frankie's culture is so devoid. It's so separate from Jewish culture. Like I know there are there is a big Jewish community in Glasgow, but he didn't grow up around many Jewish people. And when we first met, his main knowledge of Jewish people is that he's a pro-Palestinian uh, independence campaigner. And he would often talk to me about Palestine and I had shut my ears off my eyes off from it because it felt easier. I have relatives in Israel, it just felt easier not to read anything about it that I might find difficult. And he didn't have that much of an awareness of where I was coming from, of, of living with a mum with PTSD and having, a, you know, being obsessed with the Holocaust. And so he used to say to me sometimes, we'd have a writing day and there was a big news story with a group of people taking charity aid to Gaza and said, I want you to write about this. And it was partly me writing jokes, but it was also getting me to read the articles. And similarly, I've never actually asked him because it feels really arrogant, but I know that the summer that he came to see my solo show, he wrote, wrote in one of his books that he he also watched a very moving documentary about the Holocaust that had made him think of it in a way that he hadn't before, which often people can be quite rude about. I feel, I feel awkward even saying that because people can be very rude about what, what, how come you didn't know this? But then I would say to them, how much do you know about Glaswegian poverty and the potato famine, which are big things in his ethnic background? And so what's happened now is I work on a show, I work on a show, New World Order, which I can stand next to and I can be proud of everything they do because the guy at the helm 
I understand where he's coming from and he understands where I'm coming from. And what I really love about the work on that show is, is you can see that nuance. You know, he will talk about both sides. He, he did talk about the anti-Semitism scans in the Labour Party and got into a lot of trouble for that, as well as talking very openly about how he feels about Palestine. I like it that we have those conversations. I'm not just some lackey who, you know, go and write this. <laughs> There's an exchange of ideas going on there as well. And, and, and when he wrote his article for The Guardian about refugees, he ran it past me, say, does this reflect the way your mother felt about coming to the country? It's a very minor kind of background thing. It's not anything where every, anybody's ever said, oh, well, Merrill's Jewish. But it's this ongoing conversation, which has meant that I can stand by a television show, which basically I'm just on the credits of. It's about professional respect as well, isn't it? It's two individuals who have very different backgrounds, who have enough respect for where each other comes from to do the work in understanding each other a bit better. And also he has no investment in understanding me and yet he does so if I write jokes for him I have to understand him I have to basically be inside his brain and speak as him he doesn't have to do that the other way around and yet he wants to I guess because we're friends more than anything but also it's because he wants to tell a joke that matters like when you watch something like New World Order you can tell that it's coming from a place of educated thought rather than just oh what's going to be the cheapest laugh that we can get which makes it a fascinating comedy show as well as a funny comedy show <laughs> yeah apparently I don't work in the writer's room I work at home so he keeps me at home because that's what I'm used to I've been told it's one of the worst writer's rooms to be in because there's two hours of philosophy before any jokes are written <laughs> there's like hours and hours of moralizing and, and working out what angle to take on things and whether it's the moral angle and also I'm pleased that he made me read those things about Palestine because now I am informed so now if somebody like we get asked all the time I often say that I've lived for 50 years with an Irish surname and nobody's ever asked me what I think of Leo Varadka not once but the yeah. people find out I'm Jewish is oh what's your opinion on Israel but this was one of the things we spoke about on the anti-semitism panel yeah. we did with David Badil, which is that we are seemingly representative of Israel rather than the fact that we're Jewish, but we carry oh, yeah. that with us. Graham, is it like that on the music circuit? Do you find that people know you're Jewish and they ask you your opinions on anything to do with Israel or politics? Not really at all. It's a very colorblind, religious blind industry, I've found. So I've never found any anti-Semitism in, in music at all. There's something about musicians that just uh, we look at each other for what we are, nothing to do with our heritage or our ethnicity. Well, that's nearly all we've got time for, but how will our audience know what you're up to if you never call, you don't write? You don't write. Normally, <laughs> we'd allocate 20 seconds to do this, but for you, 30. Graham. <laughs> you can find me on social media, at Graham Gorman. If you go onto any sort of 10CC website or my social media, you can check out our dates. We've got two things going on, Heartful of Songs, which is myself and three other musicians who I mentioned before. We do a semi-acoustic show. As opposed to the 10CC gig, I get to talk about how the songs were written and there's more chat more interaction with the audience whereas with 10cc show it's just fantastic music all the time we're doing two major tours a, a provincial tour and a big city tour next year i can't remember exactly when they are but come and see us and meryl how about you where can our listeners find you i am on twitter and facebook at meryl o'rourke i am not on instagram because it frightens me <laughs> my new solo show vanilla is going to be filmed but the problem is i don't have an exact date but i think june 11th is going to be filmed for next up in london and i'm doing a zoom showing of it on may the 14th 
it's not about the Holocaust. <laughs> it's about modern morality and raising my teenage daughter amongst the skimpy pop videos of today. So I do talk quite a lot about body hair, actually. There's a good few lines in it about, about how hairy we are. So that's the Jewish angle, I guess. My daughter has a monobrow you could ride through Disneyland on. <laughs> Lovely. And we will put links in the show notes for anyone who's interested in that. Well, I've absolutely loved this and will now always think of Meryl as the Jew who's owed £40 by Yuri Geller for her bent key and Graham as the Jew who'll only write a song for a bagel in a minor key. <laughs> and as my grandfather used to say, I loved seeing your smiling faces arrive and I'll love seeing your little tuchuses leave because sadly we've come to the end of this week's show. We'd like to thank our guests, Meryl O'Rourke and Graham Goldman. Follow them on social media. Follow us on social media at Jew Talking without the G. Don't forget to subscribe, like and share with literally everyone you know. And join us next time on Jew Talking and Me. You Talking to Me was hosted by me, Philip Simon. And me, Rachel Krieger. It was produced by Russell Balkin. I like the idea that that story is now going to be part of the family getting at dad stuff. You know, like <laughs> you've got always got your collection of the stuff that you moan at your parents when things get to a certain point in their annoying levels. And bending your key will be one of the Geller family's things. Yeah, and, and befriending Michael Jackson probably comes up quite regularly. Yeah, yeah. I would think. <laughs> <laughs> the two worst things he's done. <laughs> Without question. <laughs> <laughs>